Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Hey everybody, I want to share with you a personal story uh, today which uh, just came up in my uh, in my mind and thinking and uh, felt that just for some reason I need to I need to share it with you. So uh, this is this is a picture of me. Look at that, that's so cute. Um, this is 1956, the year of my birth. And this picture's probably taken early July of 1956. Um, it was taken immediately after um, a very serious situation, which is the one that I want to talk to you about uh, today. In June of 1956, when I was three months old, uh, my mother got very concerned because she'd noticed one morning that I appeared to be um, bringing up... Uh, through my mouth the contents that should have been coming out at the other end Um, and it seemed that uh, the contents of my bowel were somehow finding their way up and out of my mouth that was that was my mother's perception and experience she uh, immediately got in touch with the doctor who uh, on hearing the symptoms said we need to get the child into hospital immediately Um, something is very seriously wrong so I was um, I was rushed off to Pontefract uh, General Infirmary and um, within a very short space of time I was down in theatre having emergency emergency surgery and um, uh, initially I was misdiagnosed. It was thought that uh, the problem was was an inguinal hernia which is is fairly common in in children and babies. but um, after mistreatment, uh, it was discovered that actually I had a femoral hernia, <clears throat> which is extremely rare in um, in children and particularly in 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 males. And uh, uh, in a baby of my age, three months, this this surgeon had never encountered it, never come across it, uh, never expected it. Hence the reason for the. Um, for the misdiagnosis, but um, when they did get in there and find out what was going on, uh, this femoral hernia had strangulated, that's what was causing the symptoms, and uh, it had caused a bowel blockage, and of course now here I am three months old, uh, requiring major surgery to, to fix this problem and remove the, uh, the part of the bowel that was, um, that was dying, uh, due to the the the, the problem, and uh, so it turned out pretty major surgery. the 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 outcome of that was that um, when I came out of surgery and went into intensive care, was put in an oxygen tent, and my parents were called in to speak to the surgeon. And um, the surgeon was extremely apologetic to my parents. My my dad can relive that moment like it was yesterday. Um, and uh, the terminology he used to them was, he said, I, I he held his right hand up apparently and said, I wish I could cut my hand off here uh, for the trauma that I have caused your child. Now, you'd never do that today. And, you know, these were not the, 
the days of, um, uh, of, of litigation culture. <clears throat> so the surgeon was very honest. He said, I'm so sorry. Uh, he said, but I need you to understand that um, from what I had to treat and the way it has gone and the problems that we encountered and the delay through misdiagnosis, uh, he said, um, I need to tell you, I'm so very, very sorry, but there is no hope. <clears throat> um, your son is going to die. He will not survive. Well, mum and dad apparently had, uh, had popped in to see me before they saw the surgeon, uh, seen me uh, fast asleep, as they thought, in the oxygen tent, thought I was looking pretty well, really. And so they'd said to him, well, we've just seen him and he, he looks OK. And the surgeon said, no, I assure you, he said, um, he said, it, this is this is terminal. Your son will not recover, and you you need to you need to get a grip of yourselves and be aware. Uh, it's now just a matter of time that your son is going to die. Um, he apologised to them, um, and uh, my parents again with a non litigation culture. They thanked him, thanked him for being honest, thanked him for sharing. Uh, there was no threat of solicitors and and lawyers and and. Uh, uh, and and courts and barristers it was it was thank you thank you for what you've done we're sure you did your best and um, so that was the situation I I uh, lasted the next two days in critical care <clears throat> was not improving was was gradually getting worse and of course back in those days as well uh, parents used to be sent home uh, even though that was the situation and uh, so my parents had been uh, sent away and um, uh, being the people they were with a very, very deep faith and uh, a real solid belief in God. I mean, beautiful, wonderful um, parents. They, they uh, having come back on the one evening, were, were in a, um, a prayer meeting at the, at the church that they attended when uh, a neighbour, because nobody had telephones then much in those days and they didn't have a telephone never mind a cell phone a mobile phone neighbor burst into the into the church apologizing uh, but called for mum and dad and said I've just had the hospital on the phone and <clears throat> they said you to get there immediately um, if you don't go now uh, you will not see your son alive so you must get there quickly immediately so mum and dad immediately went out the um, <clears throat> The, um, their pastor at that time, a guy called Selwyn News, went with them down to the hospital. My gran, who was also an incredible woman of faith, she um, she apparently had been baking at home, turned up at the hospital still with all the all the flour baking powder on her and, and pinnies, which everybody wore back then. Uh, remember the old pinnies? Um, the four of them were there at the hospital because it was extremely bad news. They were expecting me to die uh, sometime within the next couple of hours. And of course, my dad was too upset. He was so uh, emotionally uh, distraught at this that he he just couldn't go in at that time. He was finding it real difficult when they arrived. So uh, mum and the pastor went in and, and my gran came into the uh, intensive care where I was, critical care. And uh, dad tells this story um you know that uh, the pastor came and they asked if he could if he could lay hands on me. They let him put his hands inside the oxygen tent, and he uh, he prayed for me that uh, that 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 God would do a miracle, uh, and that in spite of what the doctors had said, that uh, that that health would come into my body. Uh, I don't know what you believe about this stuff. Some of you will be very skeptical, whatever. 
uh, and that's fine. I, I, I don't contend with that. Um, I'm just sharing the story as, as it is and as it's been uh, relayed and witnessed by, by uh, several to me. And so he prayed for me and, uh, and then he left. And I lasted out the next couple of hours and the, the night time came. And um, as also was the, the custom then, they said to mum and dad, you need to go home, you need to get some rest. And uh, if things change, we, we will uh, we'll get a message to you or please call in the morning if you've not heard from us. And uh, of course, anxiously, my father in the morning, he... Uh, he went to the local telephone box, you know, the telephone booth, and um, he called the hospital very early. Couldn't couldn't wait. Was so anxious. They'd just been. Uh, his words were extremely at peace, uh, but very concerned. And um, uh, when he called the hospital, got through to the ward. Um, he he re- recalled this to me many many times, and Mum did also that. That uh, the nurse was was said, I'm so glad that you've called. I, you know, I was going to try and get the message to you, but these are the literal words. And Dad has always said this, and and Mum, this was the literal words. She said, I, I don't know how to explain this, but a miracle's happened. Um, she said, it, you know, instead of your son dying in the night, she said he he was very very peaceful. And uh, this morning he he woke up. And immediately began to cry, but not from pain, but for a feed. And so we fed him. And as soon as we'd fed him, he had a bowel movement, which, of course, was incredibly important uh, in the context of the surgery that that I had had. And she said he had a normal bowel movement. Uh, He's now resting again very peacefully. Um, The doctor's been to see him and we're amazed. And, um, uh, you know, you can come in and see him today, but, but we just don't know how to explain what's happened. Well... Um, two days after that, I was home. So uh, one week after being admitted and uh, uh, being given a, 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 an unavoidable death sentence, I was home and well. And uh, and this is where this comes from. This is me. This is the this is the record of uh, little Anthony uh, back home after all that all that trauma. Now, in case you wonder about, you know, is this story been exaggerated? Uh, I have a full record of it. I have the medical records about it, and I have a, a full record of the uh, events around it, um, fully written out for me. And also, on top of that, um, the surgeon who who did the operation, um, he he investigated this case six years later. He'd moved to another. Uh, hospital in Farnham was the head of surgery there and um, he investigated the case found out that um, that I was still alive and uh, found my parents address and he wrote a letter to my parents which I now have uh, locked away uh, because he was so shocked about uh, about what had happened that um, uh, had no explanation that he wrote to them six years later and and asked, um, you know, how is the boy doing? Has there been any lasting after effects? He, he could barely believe that I would be just alive and well and normal, and going along. And I, I still have that letter. It's very precious to me as a, as a testament to uh, how sick I was, um, uh, the, the, the genuine concern of the surgeon who did the operation, and what I believe was the miracle of my 
recovery um, for which I'm very glad. So the two hours that I was given to live have turned into over half a million hours uh, bringing me to 64 for which I'm very grateful and hopefully I've been able to make my life count a little bit up to this time and hopefully for the years that I have that I'll still be able to make it count for the grace that touched my life. Now I know for some of you uh, you have had traumas and you have had loved ones that have have died and um, situations that have happened that you wish could have been different. So in no way am I saying this uh, to self-promote or nor do I want to cause you any pain um, and, and disillusionment from this. But what I did want to share is that these things are real and these things do happen. And, and for all of you listening to me today, um, uh, there is a point that I want to get through to you and and, and, and it's around this that there is, a, there is a realm of reality that's largely invisible to the natural eye that seems to hang around and pop its head up at times and in ways that are not fully controllable and they're not fully predictable, uh, yet they're nevertheless undeniable. Um, and, and I think it matters that we do not let this ingrained part of our being go to waste. The ancient Celts, Celtic Christians used to talk about thin places. They called some places thin places. And what they meant, it was their best way of explaining that somehow we find a space where, where the distance between heaven and earth, where the, where the distance between the seen and the unseen world was so thin that they used to say it was less than a yard. Uh, what they were really trying to get through is you could, you could, you could in essence reach your arm through and reach into the unseen world and pull back into the seen world um, uh, that which was in there, which was the realm of miracle, um, the realm of the unpredictable, the, 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 the invisible, the mystery. Uh, and that's what the Celts called it. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that oxygen tent that I was in in 1956, somehow there was a thin place there and uh, uh, the unseen came through and I'm very grateful for it. And I'm just praying for you that... Uh, you will in your life and in your situations find thin places um, where, where the unexpected, the, the extraordinary comes through. And maybe, maybe at this time it's a good time uh, for that to be a reality for you. What I do know is that, uh, that all, this, all this arena is, is affected by paradox. You understand paradoxes is, uh, is two things that are in conflict with each other and yet each one equally is true in its own right. That's a paradox. It, 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 you can't make sense of a paradox, it just is. And, and I don't know why, you know, this arena of like the miracle that happened to me and I've watched it happen to others and I've watched it not happen uh, in some lives. This It's a paradox, but, but, but we must never let this hope or expectation die just because it is paradoxical. Uh, it's the realm of mystery. It's the realm of miracle. Uh, it's that which is unexplainable by solely logical processes of deduction that does exist. And, uh, and yeah, quantum physics has a, has a similar thing um, that it calls a potentiality. Okay, potentiality, potential within what is happening for something different, something new to emerge that was unexpected. And, and maybe there are some things that are just uncircumscribable by human boundaries. 
uh, and we become fools if we try. You understand the term un- uncircumscribable. To circumscribe something is when you're able to, you draw a circle around it, like circling the wagons. You draw a circle around it. But I think the area that, that this, these things work in are, are uncircumscribable with human boundaries. So, so I, I think we just should not try to figure out how to put a circle around it it's just for me this is really what I'm wanting to say today no matter what your experience and and even though you will come face to face with paradox always leave room for mystery and for miracle you know Jesus Jesus is recorded as saying all things are possible to the one who believes now I don't think that's a, a test of you know if you have great faith uh, you'll get what others won't get who don't have any faith um, I think really it's just an issue of believing in the possibility, not the inevitability, but believing in the possibility uh, of or that, that, that although wrapped in paradox, does release mystery and does release miracle and uh, uh, can touch our lives in, in such, such an unexplainable way as uh, what touched my life um, 64 years ago back in back in 1956. Uh, So if Jesus said all things are possible to the one who believes, plant that somewhere deep in your spirit today and who knows what that might begin for you. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest. <laughs>